Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to GCC's live stream. Uh, we're back to a live stream this morning, obviously, from the recent events that have just happened in Oregon with the fires. And so uh, bear with me as I get used to or try to get uh, readapted with speaking uh, into the camera and, and yeah, and, and going back to this. And so uh, first, I just want to say that I know this is a crazy time and it's been a crazy week. And so I know that we have people from within um, our community who have uh, family members and friends who have lost homes that are going through just a really difficult time right now. And so um, our, our, our prayers go out to you and, and, and our heart is with you as well in this time and in this season. And what I wanna say is this, is that uh, right now, a very tangible and practical way that our church family can help is on our website, gccugene.org, there's, there's a tab that says Oregon Fire Relief. And right now we are, uh, we are providing uh, our churches the, the place where uh, everyone from Acts 29, our network, can go to and give to support the Oregon churches. And so as needs come up with the churches in Oregon and, and as, yeah, as, as, as these needs come in, then, uh, then we will uh, collectively in the Oregon Acts 29 network delegate those funds to wherever they're needed the most. And so if you want to give to, uh, to the network, um, uh, that will impact all the churches in Oregon, you can give there. You could also go to our giving page on the website as well and give to our specific uh, page that says Benevolence and that will go toward anyone inside of GCC. Either way, it, it, it's gonna go towards helping people during this time that have lost their homes and are just trying to, to just rebuild in this season. And so I'll also say this, if you're someone who is in need or if you have a family member or friend who's in need, we want to come alongside of you and of your family members during this time of the season. So please, please, please reach out to us. Send us an email. You can email me. You can email Hunter. Please reach out to us. Contact us. Let us know what the need is. Um, we we, we want to pray um, for you. We, we want to be there to walk with you as you uh, um, maybe going through this yourself or walking with a family member. Uh, and, and we also want to help uh, just meet some tangible needs. And so please let us know in any way we can help or provide service uh, during this time. And so... Uh, if you're new to, to the area, new to GCC, we were meeting um, in person uh, the past few weeks out by Fern Ridge, but obviously in light of the fires, we're not doing that this morning. So this morning we're actually in our new church offices. And so um, by God's grace, we have the ability to record here, um, which I'm thankful for. And so, yeah, welcome. Uh, our church's mission statement is to make Jesus the hero. And our aim and goal is to do that through the preaching and teaching of God's word, but also how we conduct ourselves, how we live life, um, wh uh, whichever environment we step into. Our aim and goal is not to make ourselves the hero, but to make Jesus the hero. And quite simply, we can see uh, the whole reason and purpose for that in our culture right now is that everything in life that we might grab a hold of or put hope in or, or put trust in, even when it comes to homes or jobs, careers and stuff like that, can be gone in just an instant. And so what we want to do is point people towards a greater hope that is unchanging, unwavering, and that can't be snatched, can't be taken. And that is a hope that is found through our identity in Jesus Christ. That is a hope in knowing that we have a God who is in full control. So our aim and goal and purpose as a church is to exalt Christ because that's what all of the scriptures do. And so also we wanna let you know that 
I know it's a uh, weird and interesting time to move to a new city. And so if you're new to the area and want to get plugged into a community, we offer gospel communities. And so we would encourage you to, to reach out to us as well and allow us to help you get plugged into a community at our church. Those are called gospel communities. And we would love to, yeah, to help you get plugged in in that way. Uh, in just a moment, I'm going to um, pray and, and say a prayer uh, yeah, for, for, for our state and what is going on right now. I would encourage you to, uh, to just listen in and, uh, and allow the prayer to, to minister to you. But also at the end of the sermon today, my encouragement would just be to slow down, pause. If, if you're listening by yourself, if you're listening with your family, with friends, whoever it is, please pause and take a moment and pray. Um, pray for those that are displaced. Pray for those that are hurting and grieving. Pray for those who are just trying to figure out what it looks like to walk alongside family members and friends right now. And just spend a moment in prayer. I honestly believe prayer is our first response and it's our best response as we pray to a sovereign God who's in full control. So please join me as we pray and before we dive into the word this morning. So, Father, our Father, that is who you are and how you've chosen to make yourself known to us. You are not a distant and far off God removed from your creation. You are our Father who is intimately involved with everything going on right now. In Eugene, in Lane County, in Oregon, Father, you are intimately involved with everything. You're a Father who is near, and you're a Father who is also in full control. You are not shocked by 2020 as a whole. You are not shocked by anything going on right now. Father, you are absolutely seated on the throne, calling all the shots in full control. Let us not forget how good and holy and also omnipotent and powerful and infinite that you are. And when we can't wrap our minds around what you're doing in our world, and when we can't make sense of your hands, please help us to trust your heart and to know that everything you, good, uh, everything you do for your children is good. The turmoil and turbulence right now, Father, leads us uh, to pray that your kingdom come. The effects of a fallen and broken world lead us to long for your promise of a world without pain, without suffering, without brokenness. A world where you come back and where you reign, Lord Jesus, and where you make all things right as you originally created things to be. We long for that. We pray for that. And it's in times like this we're reminded of how fickle it is to place our hope in anything this kingdom has to offer. But instead we have your kingdom, an everlasting kingdom that will continue to reign with the good king who's in full control. And so let your kingdom come during this time. Let your perfect, sovereign, good just will be done in this time. Let us not trust in our will being done. Let us trust in your will being done. Do whatever it takes to advance your kingdom. Jesus, we're reminded of what looked like the greatest loss in Christianity, what looked like and, and what was the greatest tragedy was the cross, but through it provided the greatest hope and the greatest beautiful picture that we have of you work through evil, that you work through things that look so horrific to bring out hope to bring out good. And through the cross, we have our greatest hope in all of humanity, but it looked awful. But God, it reminds us that you work all things for your glory and for our good. 
by bringing redemption through such a painful and broken and cruel process. Thank you, God, that you're working in the midst of evil and chaos and all that's going on in our world. Father, provide through your temple, through your flock, through your church, through all of us, provide food and shelter and clothing for children and for those that are hurting and suffering loss right now. Provide through us by stepping forward in faithfulness, but ultimately through your church, provide the greatest need that people have, the bread of life, Jesus Christ himself. That Lord, let us provide material needs, but let our, our aim in doing that be to ultimately point people to the greater need of eternal hope that we have that's given to us freely by your grace in Jesus Christ. Help us also, um, Father, to just step and step toward people right now, to pray for people, to meet people where they're at. Father, forgive us for our failure to take care of others and for loving ourselves and our own comforts more than we love other people. Forgive us for our lack of faithfulness. Forgive us for our apathy for things that don't directly affect us. Help us to forgive others as we see how much we need forgiveness ourselves. Let us experience the depth of your forgiveness offered to us at the cross in your finished work, Jesus. And through us seeing and beholding your forgiveness, let us walk in grace and mercy and forgiveness, but us stepping in and toward people right now. Father, lead us away from the temptation to trust in ourselves, to trust in our homes, to trust in anything this world has to offer that is all hevel, that, that is all vanity. Lead us away from the temptation to doubt your goodness. Lead us away from the evil of, uh, uh, of thinking we know what's right and the way that you should be working and acting and responding and what you should be doing to know and trust in your goodness during this time, Father. Deliver us from the evil of, 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 of self-reliance and that sort of pride in this time. Father, lead us and teach us right now to see that we need you. Increase our trust, increase our faith, increase our confidence in you, in your goodness, in your faithfulness, in the fact that you don't change. Everything in our world has proven uh, um, just, just that it changes right now, God, but you do not. You are steadfast, you are stable, you are constant. Let us cling to those truths of who you are, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This morning we're gonna be in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 23 through 33, and uh, we're diving back into Saints and Society. Saints and Society is a series that we've been going through for quite some time now through the book of 1 Corinthians, and it's called Saints and Society because we understand that saint is, is an identity that Paul refers to Christians as, which actually means set apart or holy one. And we understand that we don't work toward becoming a saint, that by God's grace and through faith in Jesus Christ alone, we're given that identity as saints. What 1 Corinthians is about is Paul telling now the Corinthians, this is your new identity in Christ. Now here's what it looks like to live out of that identity in society. And the same goes for us. The Corinthians had all sorts of influence from their society telling them how they should live. This letter is telling them how they should live out of this new identity. Look, you don't have to work for this sainthood, but because you're a saint, live into it and live out of it. Don't separate yourself from society and, and pull back or remove yourself. Get into society, meet society in their terms, not on their terms. So that's what Paul is, is, is writing this letter to do, to encourage them what it looks like to live as a saint in the midst of society. Um, with, with, with all the social peer pressure and everything going on. In the same way, we can look at what it looks like for us as saints to live in society 
today with, with, with all the peer pressure and everything that society tells us and tells us how we should live. So that's where we're at. If you're new to this series, new to just tuning in today, that's what we're continuing today. So um, I'm going to say this. My hope today is to be um, gracious, but also truthful. And so I would assume that most people at some point will be challenged with what's going to be presented today. Here, let me encourage you with this. The moment that we start challenging God's word and stop allowing God's word to challenge us is, is the moment that I see this happen. It, it, it's, it's a slippery slope or it's a door that gets uh, cracked open and then it swings wide open. I, I know recently from just, uh, um, just reading on the internet that there's a woman who uh, several years ago who was a, um, like a pretty notable Christian author who started to challenge her views on God's word in various areas. And I was grieved to hear that today that her and her husband are now going through a divorce. And I think what happens with some of these things is that we start to challenge God's word and instead we need to remember that we sit under the authority of God's word and it's a good thing to let God's word challenge us. So if this is challenging you today, I would say that's a good thing. The moment that we stop getting challenged by God's word, we might question, are we putting ourselves above his word and, and trying to live in authority over it? And so, um, yeah, it, it, is, it is my hope and prayer to, uh, to communicate with grace today, but also to communicate with truth and just to say up front, hang in there with me because the reality is, is I think our, our, our DNA um, to our cores that we are selfish human beings. And so I, I wanna challenge that and, and I wanna lean into that, but I wanna show that we have hope um, and we have hope held out to us in the gospel. So hang in there with me. And the main point today, which this is a long one, so good luck trying to memorize this, but the saint's freedom is found by falling out of love with ourselves. Okay, I'll say that again. The saint's freedom is found by falling out of love with ourselves. And the reality is that we are so in love with loving ourselves that I believe true freedom from what Paul is saying through the word is that true freedom is actually found in us falling out of love with loving ourselves and instead loving God and loving others. So with that, briefly pray um, as I just need God's help and uh, um, yeah, the spirit's power uh, as I preach. So Father, encourage, challenge, heal, minister this morning through your word, through the gospel. Where we need to be convicted, convict us. Don't let us push away your grace and our desperate need for us. Where your word challenges, let us go, oh yes, that's why we need grace and that's why we need the sufficiency of your word, Jesus Christ, your blood and the cross. In your name we pray, amen. This is God's word, 1 Corinthians 10, 23-33. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone and everything. I do not, I do not seeking my own advantage, but that of many 
that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. The gist of what's going on here is about religious liberty and freedom. We are a country that loves and celebrates freedom. That's a good thing. As I said several weeks ago when we started to get into the freedom side of things of, of 1 Corinthians, that freedom can be an idol, and it is in many ways an idol. And how we have defined freedom culturally is not how, biblical, or how the Bible defines freedom. So we need to rewire our thinking around what actual freedom is based upon what God's word says freedom is. And it's very easy to us, uh, for us to fall into our ideological ways of what we think freedom is and then to live out of that. Instead, what we need to see again is what God's word says about freedom and how his word defines freedom. What, what is going on in verse 23, if you look at it, it's in quotations because um, there is these, the timer just dropped, so, so guys, now we're gonna keep cruising. What's, what's going on here, these quotations? These quotations are from the, uh, the Corinthians. And so this is likely uh, Paul heard that these are the things they're saying. These are snarky comments. That's just what they are. The, the, the Corinthians said, and it was relayed to Paul likely, that they're like, yeah, well, all things are lawful. And, and, um, and then Paul responds to that. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, sure, all things are lawful. And Paul's not being inconsistent. He's told us what's unlawful. So as long as God's word is not as against God's moral law, then sure, all things are lawful. But notice what Paul says. He's like, but not all things are helpful. And, and, and then the, uh, he, he again, he's, he's quoting what they say. Um, all things are lawful. And then Paul says again, but not all things build up. So, so that's how he starts. He starts off quoting their snarky little comments. And I would assume that this broke the apostle's heart like hearing that these are the comments that they're making because in this there is so much selfishness and self-love that I can only assume that it broke Paul's heart to hear that this is all they care about is that if, if, if it's legal and if it's lawful, then I don't really care because I'm not breaking any laws, I'm not, I'm not sinning and so it doesn't really matter. I'm gonna do whatever I want to do as long as it, in a sense it's, it's lawful and it makes me happy. Um, and here's the reality, just because something is not a sin doesn't make it a good idea. And so what Paul is saying is this is, you're focused on the wrong thing. And here's the, and here's the reality, inside of the church, we often have two groups. We have the rule followers and the rule breakers. And, and this is oftentimes referred to as, as the legalistic and the licentious. So those that, that like to ad, uh, adhere to all the rules and then set the bar a little higher than hold people to those rules. And then those that only wanna know where the bar is at so they can get as close to that line without breaking it as possible. In this, you can have a dead heart on both sides because both of these are focused on rules, liberties and regulations, and they're not actually focused at all on Christ and what Christ has done. And so in this, um, whether you are on the rule breaker or rule keeper side, just to be clear, keeping rules is a good thing. God's law is a very good thing. Putting your trust and faith in that for your basis of being right with God is a bad thing. But what is going on here is they're focused on rules. You can be focused on rules. You can be a self-righteous person that focuses on the rules. You spend all of your time looking at the rules, what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do. You can be a rule breaker that looks at the rules just so, you, again, you know how close you can get to those rules. Um, and, and, and basically from all of that, it's not a heart that's consumed with God's glory. It's not a heart that's consumed with the rule keeper, Jesus Christ. It's just a heart that's, that's consumed with what I can and can't do 
and, and it has nothing to do with God's glory whenever we put all of our trust and faith and we, we become so rule focused, but it also is not good for the building up of others. So what Paul's trying to say is just because something's not sinful, just because something's not wrong, that shouldn't be your, 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 your ultimate measuring line. That shouldn't be how you base all your decisions in, line, uh, in life. The, the, the greater thing is this, is, is what you are doing actually making Jesus the hero? Is what you are doing actually glorifying and honoring God? Is what you're concerned about if you're in a relationship right now or what can me and my boyfriend or girlfriend do or how can we honor and glorify God and build up one another with who we are in Christ? And then the other question is, is what I'm doing right now benefiting my brother and sister in Christ? Is what I'm doing right now edifying my brother and sister in Christ? Are the decisions that I'm making, whether sinful, uh, even if they are not sinful, are they for the building up of someone else? Or is it just all about me and being in love with loving myself? Here's the reality. Social media right now is all about being in love with loving yourself. It, it, it's actually recorded, uh, there, was, there was a study on uh, um, uh, uh, psychology today talking about how it literally affects, especially young people's emotions on, on how often they see that their stuff is liked. So uh, they will have good days or bad days based upon how much other people are giving them attention and admiring the images and stuff they post. Oftentimes we are posting stuff on social media so that we can get people to be impressed with us. So in that is the selfishness of love. Um, and, and honestly, the amount of hours that we spend a day isn't for the edification of anyone else. It's just a selfish, time-consuming thing where we just care about this is what I want to do. I just want to scroll through a scroll feed for hours. And it's actually just this self-loving project. We are, we are phenomenal at loving ourselves. We are, we are phenomenal at thinking about ourselves. And someone could say, well, what about the person that is just like really hard on themselves or they're apathetic or they don't like the way they look, they don't like how they interact with people, they're socially awkward. At the end of the day, if you are apathetic and you don't like your body or things about you, if you are consumed by those things, you are still in love with loving yourself because what you're ultimately thinking about is everything you don't have and everything you wish you could be. In the same way the prideful person is boasting in all that they have and, and, and all that they are, this, these are both just a loving yourself things. Whether it's, it's prideful or, or apathetic pride, it is just a self, um, just being self-consumed with loving yourself. We are phenomenal at being in love with loving ourselves. But notice what Paul says in verse 24. He says, let no one seek his own good. So let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. All right. Just, just to give proof of how much we love ourselves and how much we are in love with loving ourselves, let's just look at the church culture, which I know is weird to speak to um, people that would typically be at church on Sunday. Uh, but, but, but that's what I want to do, just to show how much we actually have adopted this view of what it looks like to love for ourselves, to think about ourselves, and just be in love with loving ourselves. And, and, and here's, here's what I would say. And so here's where some of the, the hard things of truth are going to come in is what do you or how do you view church? Is church God's temple that's been purchased by the blood of Christ, Jesus's bride, his flock? Or is church just a place that you show up to that's really no different than how you would walk into a movie theater or a concert? Do you walk into church on Sundays expecting to just be fed, expecting some sort of experience, and then do you kind of grade or rate that experience? 
How do you show up on Sunday? Do you, I like what Tony Payne says, one way that we can start to get around this is actually pray before you go into church where you should sit that Sunday. But most of the times, our only spot about sitting is, is this spot out of convenience for me? I'm not placing myself where I can best minister to other people. So how do you show up on a Sunday? How do you view church? I think, just to be honest with, with, with GCC and, and, and as, as our church family and as the pastor, I love our church family. I think if there's an area we can grow, it'd be um, in, in mission and what it looks like to, uh, to not just love God, but love other people, um, uh, the broken, the outcast, and the non-Christian. And I think in our ecclesiology of what the church is and what the purpose of Christians are inside of the church and how do we see ourselves as members? How do we function inside of the roles? How do we see us being at church as purposeful, not just something that we go and it's about me? And here's, here's if we're being honest, we, sometimes we show up to church and just treat it as a personal devotional time for me and God just to have this time. And this is, might be a thing where I can get myself right with God, but it might just be where I'm just going in because I need this. And I'm hoping that by my hour and a half devotion of showing up on a Sunday that God will bless this predicament that I'm in in life or my marriage or some situation. So oftentimes our thoughts about even showing up on a Sunday are just self-consumed with all about us. If you're being honest, your flaky attendance at church says a lot about your view of church. It's that I'll go to church whenever I feel like showing up at church because it's more about me than it is about me going and giving myself in love to other people. And, and this is, again, you're showing up late also says a lot and speaks a lot to your view of the church. We typically wouldn't show up late for doctor's appointments and other things, but it's like, I'll come in after the second or third song and just get a little bit of what I want. In that says a lot, whether you want to admit it or not, about your perspective on showing up and being there to invest in the lives of others even before church starts. And I know that's hard to hear, so, so um, because our church for a long time, not just pandemic, has just had a bad, um, and, and just know this, your pastor also, has a bad habit of showing up late to things. And so I'm gracious in this, but, but it's just been something that we do. And that says something. How do you view the benediction on a Sunday? So when, when, when the benediction is given, do you view it as like a gunshot of like benediction's over, get the heck out of here? Or is it a time to now, as we've just heard the word, digest the word, even discuss the word with other people, to seek out other people? And here's the reality too. When we view church as just this me and God thing, and I go there to get something for myself, and it's all about what I can get out of it, then we start to develop this, oh man, so-and-so's preaching today. No, I don't like this song. I don't like how they're doing this song. And then it has nothing to do with actually us worshiping God for the creator of the universe, for his omniscience, for his awesomeness, for his glory, singing with our hearts out to him. It's actually about, nah, I don't really like this. This isn't my preference, this isn't my style. And we can fall into that. Do you read scripture ahead of time? And, and, and I'll take the blame for not sending scripture out, but I believe with a strong conviction we should be reading what the passage is and, and meditating on that. So, so we come with the heart prepared. I believe the night before we should be praying for the service tomorrow, for people to show up, for the people that are hurting and going through a hard time, um, that, that we'd be placed in position around them, that we could be an encouragement to them. People are at GCC today, not because of phenomenal preaching or phenomenal worship. There are literally people that are at our church, church family, because they felt loved by someone at church that Sunday. We, we play a massive role and how we view ourselves in showing up for Sunday typically shows that we're in love with loving ourselves. It's all about us. And the reality is us showing up on Sunday, it should be us giving ourselves 
should be expending ourselves, should be pouring ourselves out. Yes, we do get. Yes, we do receive God's word. Yes, we do receive the encouragement, but we're also there as scripture says, don't neglect meeting together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another. We're there to encourage one another. Read Ephesians 4, 1 through 12. The whole purpose of that is that in order to grow up into maturation, into mature uh, uh, men and women in Christ, we have to be speaking the truth to one another in love. That means we do that on Sundays. That means we do that in our gospel communities, but people are removed from that or again, flaky to those things. If we wanna grow up into Christ, I'm saying this, a lot of our maturity on growing up into Christ is, is, is from our views of how we view ourselves and how we view the church and what our purpose is there. And I've seen this, I've seen people not grow up for years. I've seen 40 year old men uh, moving into 50 year old men that are constantly saying, well, I'm not getting this or I'm not getting this or this is it. And I'm like, it is time to see that our part of our maturity is showing up, not just to get, but actually to give. And that that's a good thing. That's, that is where we start to grow. People that don't go to church, I wanna challenge you to say that you should be plugged into a local church. Literally, Jesus says that they will know um, that you are my disciples by your love for one another. In, uh, in other words, the outside world gets to show up, gets to look in the lives of how we interact and love other Christians and go, that's how I know they're disciples. And how can you do that? How can we do that if we're not meeting together? And I do believe it affects our Christian maturity. Again, people like a live stream service. I'm, I'm, I'm picking on everyone because of convenience. I can stay at home, I can stay in my pajamas and stuff. It's really, a lot of it is just about us. Last, I'll say this. Jonathan Lehman says this. This is a big one. And, and, and I'm not picking on people because I know a lot of people are moving right now. So, but he says, people move and leave churches and cities without ever saying anything or seeking counsel. Christians make major life decisions, moving, accepting a promotion, choosing a spouse, etc., without considering the effects of those decisions on the family of relationships in the church or without consulting the wisdom of the church's pastor and the members. I say all this to say, we're only in verse 24. And, and, and Paul is saying that when we think through things, our aim and our goal is to think through how things build up other people. That's what he's getting at. And, and the reality is, is we're in love with loving ourselves. And so if you look at verse 24 with me again, he says, let no one seek his own good. This is what freedom is, not seeking your own good, not being in love with yourself, but the good of his neighbor. So again, neighbor isn't just our church family and our church members. If we are horrible at doing that, can we be honest and say we're selfish to the core? I am, I know we are. And if we have a hard time doing that, showing up to church on Sunday with our own family members, how will we do that? And how are we doing with doing that to how scripture defines our neighbors as the Samaritans, as the people who, who, who hate us or we're opposed to? That's what Paul's actually calls, he, the radical call to freedom is, is that the love of Christ permeates so much of the church family, but it also permeates to the world and to those that we would call our own enemies. And he's saying, in all you do in your decisions, it's not about what you can and can't do. It's about, does this glorify God? And does this actually edify and build up and lead other peoples closer to Jesus? Let's keep moving through. Verse 25. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. What's going on? So back then they would have kind of what we would call like flea markets today, but there was a market you would go there and pur purchase your meat. Paul's saying, when you go to the market, you don't have to ask the person working on the other side of the sand, hey, has this meat been sacrificed to idols or to demons or anything like that? He's like, you have the freedom. 
You have freedom to eat because everything in the earth, this actually comes from Psalm, I want to say Psalm 24, but, but, but this is actually a blessing that Jews would pray before a meal. And, and Paul is saying that everything in the earth belongs to the Lord. When the cattle walk on their hooves on the land, it's the Lord's. When they move from there to the Traeger, it's still God's. No matter what, we can be thankful for what we have because it belongs to the Lord. And so Paul is saying, you don't have to ask whether this was sacrificed to a demon or to an idol or anything like that. It is meat and meat is not bad. Now, if, if, if you're going to one of these pagan worships at the temple, which Ronnie preached on a couple weeks ago, that's a bad thing. But the meat, the meat's not bad. The meat belongs to God. Everything on the earth belongs to God. And so just be thankful for it. You don't have to raise a question about these things. You have the, you have the liberty and the freedom to eat. And I'll say this. Christians have the freedom and liberty to eat and drink whatever the Bible has deemed permissible. And so we can drink wine, we can eat pork, we can celebrate these wonderful freedoms that we have in Christ, as long as what we are doing is for the glory of God and for the edification, the building up of other brothers and sisters in Christ. We have these tremendous freedoms of what it is to be a Christian. And what Paul is saying also here is that uh, when you go into the house of an unbeliever, first celebrate Christians. If, if a non-believer asks you to dinner, please make it all possible to go to their house for dinner. And when they put uh, food in front of you, Paul's just saying you can eat whatever's put in front of you. You don't have to raise a question unconscious or anything like that. How, how do we contextualize this? Um, here's, here's what I would say for the sake of time right now. The question that we can ask ourselves, what, whatever we're eating or drinking, whatever we're participating in music. Here's the thing. I think some secular music is better to listen to than some, uh, some Christian music because bad theology has a tendency to lead people down a bad path. Um, in some ways, it, is, it looks prettier than secular music and the way that it can do that. And so um, whatever you're listening to, whatever you're watching, whatever you're eating or drinking, can you toast or can you say this, God, thank you for this wonderful gift. Christians have a tremendous freedoms. We have tremendous liberty to enjoy gifts. The reason why is because in Christ, we know the gift giver and our ultimate satisfaction is not found in gifts, but we can actually enjoy gifts for all they are. They're just gifts, they're not gods. And so we have the freedom to enjoy them as gifts and not, uh, and not celebrate them as gods that give us our ultimate satisfaction. Christians have the freedom to say no to things. And so that is even a test that you can do is, is can I say thank you God for this tremendous gift? Let's keep cruising. I do uh, verse, um, verse 28. But if someone says to you, this has been offered and sacrificed, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. Verse 29, I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced? Because of that which I give thanks. Okay. To the rule followers, to those that are legalistic, let me say this. Is your rule following and is what you are doing actually about the edification of other people? And, and here's what I mean. Are you more concerned with, with, with getting people to know Christ or getting people to know your rules? Same with your children. Are, you, are, you, are your children so far from Jesus but, but, but very close to rules? 
because that is a, ne a negative thing. On the other side is, are you willing to say no to something if you tend to be a rule breaker, if it actually will get people closer to Jesus? And here's what I've seen in, 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 in uh, the Pacific Northwest, is we love to abuse rules. We love to abuse alcohol. We love to abuse things. Are you willing, whenever you think about something, is the way that I'm doing this as an ambassador of Christ, glorifying God and edifying to other people? And that needs to be an honest question we ask ourselves. In relationships and eating and drinking and whatever we're doing, is that what our goal is? And that's what Paul is trying to address in this passage. And the reality is, is that oftentimes, we are in love with loving ourselves and we are in love with loving the gifts and how they bring us comfort and satisfaction. We would never consider giving up those things. And in that sense, are you really free or are you enslaved to everything else that everyone else in the world is enslaved to? Spurgeon had this uh, saying, there was a young man that came to his school and Spurgeon was smoking a cigar and the young man uh, said to Spurgeon, he's like, you can't smoke a cigar. And Spurgeon said in a snarky way, I can smoke a cigar to the glory of God, can you? And, and the young man said, no. And then he said, then you shouldn't smoke a cigar. And so what I would say is this, I disagree with Spurgeon's stance on this. I believe whatever we're doing should be done in such a way to win our legalistic or our licentious uh, brothers and sisters closer to Jesus, to better to, or, or win them to a better understanding of the gospel. And so that's in a sense what Paul is doing, but Paul just wants to make things really simple for us. And he, so he summarizes it here as we wrap up in 31 through 33. He says, so whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone, not saying that he's seeking the approval of man, but that he's doing everything as to not be a hindrance to the advancement of the gospel. In everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. What is Paul saying? He's just summarizing. We're, we're finishing up the saint's freedom from, from chapters 8, 9, and 10. What Paul is simply saying is this is it. At the end of the day, here's your question. Here's what your aim is. Am I doing this? for the glory of God and for the benefit of my brother and sister in Christ and to get them closer to Jesus or to, to those who don't know Jesus to win them over to Christ. In, in, in essence, no matter what our gain, our, our goal is to get people closer to Jesus. Are our actions and our things that we're doing an attempt to do that or are they actually more about us loving ourselves? And, 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 and here's the reality. The reality is that there's only been one man ever that's walked the earth that hasn't been fully in love with loving himself, and that man is Jesus Christ. And so Paul is saying, imitate me as I seek to imitate Christ. If, if, uh, if Jesus were anything like us, he would have never went to the cross because we wouldn't go to the cross because we're selfish to the core. Jesus goes to the cross out of this display of what true freedom is. This is true freedom. The person who has all power and all authority sacrifices it, lays it aside, and allows himself to be pinned to a cross. Remember, when he was in the garden, the soldiers came to arrest him. He said, I am he, showing his divinity, they all fell down. Jesus had power and authority. He was like, no one's taking my life from me, I'm giving it. So the person with all power and authority goes to the cross, why? Because at the end of the day, Jesus shows what true freedom is. It's loving God and loving other people more than you love yourself. The cross is the most horrific, gross, cruel picture that we have in human history, but it's also the most beautiful.
In the cross, what Jesus is essentially saying to the Father is, don't hold back anything from me. In other words, pour out the fullness of your wrath and your judgment that is righteous and holy, but also don't hold anything back from them. Through the cross and through what I'm doing here, don't hold back any ounce of love, the same love that you have for me. Uh, all of my righteousness, give it all to them. All of your love, give it all to them. At the cross, what is going on is, is, is we get a picture of how vile and gross and, uh, uh, the cross is, but how beautiful it is. Why is it vile and gross? Because our selfishness is, is, is vile and gross. If given over to it, it'll lead to our own death and destruction. Jesus went to the cross to deliver us from our own selfishness. The reality is we need the cross because of how little we actually think we need the cross. Parents go, I can't believe how selfish my kids are being. In that statement says that you have a small view of how much you need the cross because of how selfish we are. Think about how selfish we are from just these short passages and how much we need the cross. Of course our kids are selfish. They're byproducts of us. They need the cross. We need the cross. I like what J.C. Ryle says. He says this, give up your secret pride, cast away your vain ideas of your own goodness. Be thankful if you have grace, but never give glory for it in a moment. Work for Christ, or work for God in Christ with heart and soul and mind and strength, but never dream for a second of placing your confidence in any work of your own. Our confidence is in the cross of Jesus Christ. Our confidence is, 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 is in this most horrific picture we have in human history of a tragedy, but it, in its beauty of what it does and what it offers and what it gives to us. If we trust in rules, and our adherence to rules, or if we're trying to put our kids' trust in rules, they will never be transformed. And, and, and because only the cross has the power to transform us. It, it transforms us by, by giving us this picture of what it looks like to selflessly lay down your life. But it also, when we put our trust and faith in all that Jesus accomplished there, it cleanses us, it washes us, but it gives us uh, the Holy Spirit. So we're actually empowered now to walk in what true freedom is which is breaking up with loving ourselves and actually loving God and loving others more. So there is no power in following rules. Rules are a good thing, but powerless to transform us. We need to present the cross to one another. We need to be in a cross-centered community. We need the cross to transform us, to break up with ourselves, of loving ourselves and being in love with loving ourselves and to actually see that what the Bible says true freedom is, is to love God and love others. I'm, I'm, I'm confident that if we walk in that, we'll experience more joy in life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day and for this time, for your word and for the cross. Let it crush our pride, but also let us not trust in rules. Let us not fix our eyes on rules, whether us looking to them for our trust and right standing with you, but also looking at them to see what we can get away with. Let us be so consumed with the rule keeper. Let us be so consumed with you and your grace and your glory that what we do is live for you. And, and out of that, I pray, flows a greater love for you and a greater love for others. Thank you for taking care of our selfishness, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.